0: service
1: please you're listening to the food and travel podcast with paul feinstein 209
0: now arriving
1: anywhere you want to say it i can get us in anywhere here's the most interesting man in the world paul feinstein
2: think about what you're eating tonight really really think about it where did that rice come from how was that steak butchered where were those vegetables grown and then try to think about what it would actually take to make that meal from scratch. On this week's episode of the PaulCast, hosted by me, Paul Feinstein, I talk to actor, director, writer, and producer, David Moscow, whose new television series, From Scratch, explores where your food comes from and what it takes to actually recreate your meal at home, literally from scratch. You might know David from his film roles in Big as Young Tom Hanks or Newsies and a bunch of other films, but this show reveals an entire other side of the star's life. The show takes Moscow all around the world where he fishes, farms, butchers, and dives for his food to help learn what it actually takes to get that meal on your plate. It's a fascinating conversation with an incredibly thoughtful guy and hopefully you'll watch his enlightening and entertaining show and learn a thing or two along the way. So if you want to know where your food really comes from, listen up, and I'll see you on the other side.
1: Flight two zero nine, er, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Paul Feinstein, and I am here with David Moscow. Is it Moscow or Moscow? How do you pronounce it?
0: Moscow. Well, how do you pronounce the Russian city? How do you? Well, I would pronounce, pronounce it
1: Moscow, but I'm, I'm assuming your name was shortened from Ellis Island at some point. Maybe you were a Moskovitz or a. Masculate well, actually, like that.
0: actually, no. I mean, the, the, the family legend is... Um, so, my great-great-great-grandfather uh, was Ukrainian, and they didn't allow Jews to have last names, I think, before, like, 1864. Jews and serfs were not allowed to have last names. And, um, but he was a, a cello player or a violinist who would travel... To, visit, to play for the Tsar, and he was known oh, wow. as Jakob who goes to Moscow, and then when he was allowed to have a last name, he just became Yakub Moscow.
1: So there was no short name. This was it. Huh. Yeah, because my, uh, my mother's side it, uh, was a Palico, but it was shortened from Palakovsky and they're from Minsk. So mm. I mean yeah, but who knows. So no, there were I mean, lots
0: of I mean, I grew up in the Bronx and in, in a you know, a lot of Jews around the area and there
1: were a lot of Moskowitzes, and Yeah. And uh yeah. It's so, so interesting. I love I love the history of that stuff. Um anyways, not to diverge, we're getting started. Um I am here with David <laughs> in Moscow.
0: And uh, Already, talk-
1: tangentially <laughs> Yeah, no, it's all good. But we're here to talk about food and we're here to talk about travel and your new incredible show uh from scratch. So why don't you introduce yourself Tell us a little bit about yourself and let's get into the show and tell us what that is and why you're doing it. All right. Um, my
0: name is David Moscow. Uh I am most well known probably as an actor, as a child actor. I was uh in the movie Big with Tom Hanks. I played the young Josh who made the wish and grew up into old Josh. And um and then did newsies and riding in cars with boys just married honey um i was a i was an actor majorly an actor for around 25 years and um then would do like dabble in other stuff i i built um low income housing or mixed income housing in harlem in new york and then uh you know, stopped going to college for a little bit and worked with an environmental organization tracking Mexican wolves on the border of Mexico and Arizona and New Mexico. And, you know, just try, try and live a fun, interesting existence. And then um, around the time when I was kind of... Um, I, I, was, I had a theater company I was working with in New York and uh, my dad reached out and said that um, uh, his one of his business partners' son um, had written about 20 pages of music for a, for a musical, and would I listen to it because I was involved in the theater and, and put on some plays. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to destroy my dad's business partner's relationship. <laughs> but you hate those there's calls, nothing, right?
1: Like, there's nothing worse. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> My kid would like to be an actor. Will you help him? I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. Um, uh, So, but in this case, and there's nothing worse than going and sitting through a bad play. So I... um. But I I agreed, and I went down. And uh, this kid who happened to ride on my school bus with me going to school—he was like a few years younger, so he was always just that little quiet kid. And um, but I went in there, and uh, ten minutes in, I was like, "Lock the doors. This is amazing." And so I like kind of reached out to a bunch of the contacts that I had made over twenty-five years, and uh, found all the financing and got the casting director and um put a lead actress in and we ended up workshopping it, it went to off Broadway, it went to Broadway and then it finally won the Tony for best musical. And uh the, the creator's name is Lynn Manuel Miranda it was called Right, like who? High- Who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Some unknown named so, Lynn
1: Manuel, oh, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's done
1: all right for himself. So, so
0: I discovered Lynn and finance is the first play that we won the Tony. And, and then from then on, basically, like, all my investors, or the, mainly the investors who didn't invest in this, um, were like, oh, my God, we missed the boat. What yes. else are you doing? And that kind of changed my path from acting to uh, film finance and, and sort of supporting creatives, not being in front of the camera, but being more developmental and behind the camera, and and that's what I've done since, Um, and it really kind of picked up steam in the last few years. Um, I've produced around 20-something films in the last four years. Um, We won Tribeca the last two years. We had a film at Cannes uh, last year, Um, and along the way, you know, I still was dabbling in my own creative stuff. Uh, There was a buddy of mine wrote a script that I really liked, and so I raised some capital and directed that, directed my first project. And then this one, from scratch, um, started out initially as a documentary
1: idea. Um, Which, I think it, is, by, is by the way, would still... I think it would still be a good documentary. Right? As uh, like a I standalone. agree. I,
0: I think that, you know, deeper dives into some of the stuff we're doing, some of these food cultures and, you know, the history behind stuff could use, you know, another owl. Um, and uh, and in this case, it, it really, the, the episode around Mexico um, was going to be what the documentary was about. And two things were happening. One, I was sort of feeling really distant from nature and my food. Um, you know, I hadn't been a- apple picking in 20 years and uh, I don't think I'd, I'd fished since, since longer since my grandfather died, and he used to take me fishing, and so I just felt really. Um, while LA is like a really outdoor kind of place because of the sun, it actually isn't that green. There's not a lot of parks, and
1: no, I was I lot. was
0: missing I was missing the East Coast like woods that had like the soil had like water moisture in it, and and so and then at the same time. You know, Trump was talking about a wall with Mexico, which seems, you know, just bananas, crazy. Because here I am living in California, which is basically like Mexico, and a lot of the culture here is Mexican, and our, there are our friends and neighbors and family, and it just seemed ridiculous for him to be, you know, targeting immigrants, but specifically Central Americans. You know when. You know the taco is the the most eaten. Taco Bell is the is the biggest restaurant in America. Okay. Um, so I, I wanted to do a documentary about sort of Mexican food culture. Start with a restaurant in Los Angeles, then go back down to Mexico. You know, harvest corn with subsistence farmers in Oaxaca. Uh, go in a hunting for wild boar. Make up make a pork taco and make a margarita, and um, just show sort of. You know, I have family that voted for Trump and, and, and I felt like in a way that maybe some of these maybe some of the farmers and the the hunters uh down there, you know, that they would have more um connection with them than even with me, with their cousin in LA. And and I just right. wanted to sort of show you know, the 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 hard work and the pride that goes behind the food, you know, no matter what culture and and then, you know, an agent a couple agents saw it and were like, "This would be a great TV show, and you could do this across multiple cultures." And um, you know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose my investors' money, so it just seemed like, okay, this is a way that we could actually, you know, this is a stronger play. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it
1: kind of worked. Okay, um, so let's. Uh, we, so just just for people listening, can you just tell us like the not like this the basic uh, uh, elevator pitch of what the show actually is.
0: Okay, so I go to a, a chef or a food truck or a home cook. I get a dish; they make me a dish or a meal, and then we go through all the ingredients that it took to make. And then I try and hunt, gather, grow, forage, fish for all the ingredients. Come back and reproduce it with their help. Wow.
1: Um, okay.
0: And I have like a week. <laughs> I have a week to do it, kind of. Um, and sometimes I fail. I'll, the, the, I'll come back and, and I'm like, I know you asked me to get a salmon, but here's a butternut squash. See what you could do. Because I didn't manage to get a salmon. Um, but in general, I, I do succeed. And uh, and it's um, a real mix of sort of like, you know, lots of good food porn in there. But yeah. it really is about the people who bring food to the table. It's a It's a celebration of, Of farmers and fishermen and and the adventure of it, you know, like how fun it actually is to uh, jump on a boat and and go out and uh, try and get sardines or um, go into a wheat field and, uh, and harvest wheat and turn it, you know, go to a mill, grind it, turn it into dough and try and make a good pizza.
1: That's so cool. So I guess you probably wound up with a real appreciation for what's on your plate more than you'd ever had before, I would, right? I mean, like what goes on oh, yeah. is just so intense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely, being sort of a city guy, um, I had gotten to a point where, I mean, thoughtless eating just all the time. You know, whatever, something comes wrapped in paper, from whatever restaurant or, or you know fast food place and I would just eat it not thinking twice and um and so now uh I search out you know interesting you know neat foods that have you know hopefully been sustainably made and humanely raised and uh and I I'm I'm into it now um just because when you start going down that path um, we went to an apple orchard in northern New York state, um, and apples are apples right that 's you know in my mind mm-hmm. and uh, and this apple orchard is run by um the government and by cornell university and it 's a seed bank, so they keep the two thousand most important apple trees in history, starting from the original little shrub like things with green golf ball sized apples from Kazakhstan all the way up to the latest, you know, hot apple <laughs> wow. that's on the shelf. Right. And then, okay. you know, along the way they've got like, this is the top hard apple cider from 1861. Right. This is the top apple um, from that. And and so you can go through and the and we're walking around and they're like, yeah, this apple tastes like, you know, warm milk and this apple tastes like chocolate. And you're pulling them off and you're like, you know, your mind is getting blown. And then and then they talk about just the science behind it. And this was something that I never knew. Um, apples are, like people, they're monogenetic, right? So we, when we propagate, we don't clone. The thing, you know, what we give birth to is a completely different type of thing. So when an apple falls from a tree, that seed will not be... The same seed that that will not turn into the tree that it fell from. So a Golden Delicious apple falls; that seed is not Golden Delicious. It's something completely weird or different, um, and it could be closer in relationship to the original golf ball sized Kazakhstan apples than a Golden Delicious. Oh, that's and interesting. So, so there's only been one original Red Delicious, Golden Delicious, you know, uh, 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 in history. So like. The red Delicious, and, and I may be confusing two different trees, but you know this guy in Ohio was walking down on the riverbank. He he noticed that the kids like to play under this certain apple tree every day, so he went by to try one of the apples, and he was like, "Oh my gosh, it's amazing!" He bought the land, he put a cage around it sent the apples off to some apple contest, and this is like in the eighteen hundreds, and it won the con they won the contest and they renamed it Red Delicious. And that was the only Red Delicious that was ever sort of grown uh naturally. And then they started taking branches from that and he would sell the branches. They would graft those onto root systems and those are the that's how Red Delicious is created. And and all of them, there's, you know, Golden Delicious was some old lady in Australia. You know, one of her apple trees was really tasty, and she named it Golden Delicious and started selling that. And so that's how apples are done. Um, and once you started tasting apples that taste like chocolate and warm milk, you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't have a basic apple anymore, you know. <laughs> uh, you start to look for interesting, new, tasty things.
1: Right, and it's like what's the version of that for every single type of food, and you start going down exactly. that rabbit hole. Ra- that rabbit hole exactly. is just long. Um, so let's talk a little bit. I want to get into sustainability a little bit, but um, so you actually had to you actually had to kill animals for this, and how was that? Like, how did that? How did that feel? What was that like? Or were you a hunter or ever, or are you now still, or is that something that like scarred you, or how? How did? How was that? <laughs> <laughs> All of
0: the above. Yeah, no, it it was really rough. Um I'm not a hunter. Uh I'm the kind of guy who like you know, tries to take a mouse out of a, the sticky trap and let it go and um and so we I you know, I was we're killing animals in the show and um to eat. And, uh, but I felt like that was really important because I eat animals. And I love, you know, I love pork. I love beef. I love chicken. I love fish. And so, um, it would be hypocritical of me to, like, suddenly back away. Um, because this really is about us, you know, not being as distant from the food that we're eating, where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I um, have, in the Texas episode, I slaughter a cow, and that was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, and, and, you know, we you do it, and then immediately you're like, oh, I want to get out of here. This is horrible. But then I had to process it down. So then you're like cutting off the hooves, cutting off the head, skinning it, cutting it, and it takes a long time. And each step along the way, you're like, oh, please get me out of here. This is horrible. And the, the cow is still moving around because it's, you know, going through its death throes and the mortis, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, and then and then you get down to the, the carcass, which is, you're like, oh, this looks like what I know. This looks like what hangs. This is what Rocky beat up, right? Right. And, uh, and this is more towards the food um, that I'm eating. But, you know, the... The cow, looking at the cow when it was still living before we did it, is etched in my mind. And I think it will always be there. The moment where we kill it um, will always be in my mind. And it has had a um, dramatic impact on my eating. Um, I try and eat vegan five days a week now. I have a vegetarian meal. I can eat vegetarian on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, I still eat meat. Um, and, but when I eat meat now, I, you know, I, I look for something, you know, it's rarer. So I'm going to spend some money on it. I'm going to try and find one, an animal that was raised humanely and, right. um, and I'm going to, you know, and, and it's gotta be good meat. Like what a waste if I'm going to go eat some crappy, you know, I, I really spend some time thinking about it. Um, and that's, and, and so like, I have nothing against meat eating. Obviously I still eat it and i just think that you know coming face to face with the animal uh changed me a bit and then and then just in general like you know the the environmental uh impact uh the fact that you know we raise animals in a real cruel way these days um and also animals are a lot smarter than we ever thought they were historically like we know that pigs are smarter than dogs and octopus are smarter than pigs and some, mm-hmm. some whales are possibly even smarter than us or have larger brains with more powerful imaginations than us. So <clears throat> that's changed. Um, and I think that we as a species uh, need to figure out, you know, a better way of relating to the animals that we are.
1: Well, I Our think neighbors. it's good... Yeah, and I think it's good doing stuff like this because it really teaches you and people in general. Like, you know, so much of what I write about, I write about food a lot and about sustainability. And uh, I'm just always really impressed by chefs who really care about this stuff because it it is it's really important. And if people just did what you did and ate meat one day a week, we'd say basically save the planet from a carbon footprint standpoint. So I yeah. think it's really I think it's yeah. really important. Um, so let's talk about where you went. So where are the, like, what are the places that you went around the world? And then let's get into some of the, the weirdest or scariest things that you encountered along the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so we started off in the Philippines, which is um, a place that's very close to my heart because my wife is Filipina and, uh, and I, I, her family is amazing. I'm, I'm very close with them. And uh, so I got to go. My father-in-law was sort of our um fixer slash interpreter on half of the show he ends up in the Philippines episode, and mm-hmm. so that was pretty neat and um the Philippines what's cool about the, you know I, I don't I don't know how we if this i mean I guess we planned it sort of, but the vibe of each episode feels like the place where you are um and the Philippines just is so dynamic it's like Manila is crazy and like the worst traffic you'll ever be in but um you know goes 24 hours a day and uh um and and you know Filipinos in general are just really loving very open-armed people that you know love good food and so if you're going to be doing a food and travel show that's the place to be um right. and I learned how to harvest rice there make rice we did uh, made fish sauce there um and then it was South Africa. We did two episodes there one um it, uh there's a restaurant in a township called uh the akasi four room restaurant um and Abigail Mcquena is the chef, and she just got picked by food and wine as one of the top thirty chefs in the world oh, nice. um, and her story is amazing, and that episode is um sort of uh, emotionally really impactful. Um, it's, it delves into sort of apartheid, um, the history of townships, uh, the, still the, the struggle today, South Africa is the most, um, economically, uh, what's the word where majority of everybody's really poor. And then there's a few people who are insanely rich, um. Uh, economically uh, anyway so that yeah <laughs> so, south africa and most everybody is horribly poor and then there's a few very very rich people and um and you see the the day to day struggle in the townships and she is using her restaurants as a as a um a way to generate uh, income in, and tourism into the township Oh, and she so wants nice. to open up this restaurant in a lot of the townships all over the country to bring in capital. And um she's getting a lot of her vegetables from the local community gardens. And um we went into one of the gardens and this uh the woman who runs it, uh Mama Christina is just like oh, that's what that's what a powerful person looks like. I mean she's in the middle of <clears throat> she's dealing with government crap and um and you know, crap from her neighbors and you know, some of the people who garden for her don't show up and she's just she was just an amazing, amazing woman, uh doing amazing work. And so that was heartening. It it it, it I felt like um you know even in the in the face of really, really um intense poverty and still, you know, inherent race, uh, entrenched racism there um, you have people doing inc- incredible things. So that was neat. Uh, we did two in South Africa. The next one was up by like Johannesburg, a restaurant called Marble that only cooks on fire. And what was neat about that is Joburg is about 20 miles away from where the earliest recorded um, cooking was found. Oh, wow. um, so we 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 cooked over fire twenty miles away from the original people, cooking over fire, and then uh, Sardinia, Italy, uh, Finland, Iceland, Mexico, and then we hit New York and
1: Texas. Nice. Um, so what a, fun, what a fun adventure! And how did you like? How did you decide which places? Or was it based more on like the chef that you talked to and relationships you had already had? And like how like what, what was the reasoning behind the different places that you went
0: well we wanted to do a few recipes that like so fyi the the network that we're on is really big in the middle of america and so we were like all right well what are what are recipes that people would want to watch you know what 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 do americans want to watch so we made pizza you know in naples we made the best pizza we went to the best pizza place in in the world and then we did, did, you to, did. You go to
1: Franco Pepe or did you go to Don McKellie?
0: Don McKellie, yeah. Nice. And uh, and um, and and then the and then the chicharone taco, the pork taco. Oh, yeah. um, so we knew we wanted to hit those two. Like pizza, had been like, we got to make pizza. I want to make buffalo <laughs> mozzarella. I, I can't eat. I, the fact that buffalo that they actually milk water buffalo for this is just blows my mind, and, and I want to go try it. So um, and then. And then we knew that, like, I had always, I've always wanted to go to Finland. Like, I've always heard Finland, you know, they have the top education system in the sure. world. Uh, and a lot of saunas. A of years ago, they were, they have a lot of saunas. They were voted the happiest people in the world a couple of years ago. And so, you know, our take on that was, like, how does their relationship with food and nature, imp- is that part of this? Um, so I wanted to know about that and. It basically is like, where do you want to go. <laughs> like, right.
1: I mean, which, is like, which by I, the way. Is amazing. What a way. I mean, that's the coolest. Like the coolest way to just I I want to do this show and I want to go around the world and I'm going to pick some cool places that I either haven't been to or really want to go back to. <laughs> that's like it's like that's the dream, right? Like that is the ultimate right. dream. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then you make up the reasoning after the fact. You're like ah, uh, pizza. I'll go i go to the Maltese. we'll do out.
1: pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Um, anything weird or crazy that happened to you along the way? Or frightening or scary or anything?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh in Sardinia I almost drowned.
1: And Ooh. uh that's that's uh
0: this episode coming up next. I um I went out going I was spear fishing for octopus. We didn't manage to get octopus, so we pivoted to these sea anemones called sea tomatoes, um that they like uh dust in some flour and fry up and and put in pasta dishes. And we went into this cove to go get them, and uh, we were snorkeling for them, and then suddenly the whole cove kind of drained of water, and then sets of waves came in, and um, the guy I was with, you know, was a free diver, and he could hold his breath, but I was in serious trouble, and so he basically dragged me out of there. And, um, And when we got back to the boat, you know, we had a drone overhead that was following us, and when we got back to the boat, my crew was like, yay, that looked incredible, and I was like, oh, my, my God, God. it died. <laughs> so, the boat ride back was real quiet. Me and the diver were like, not much to say, and um so that was intense. I almost got bucked off a horse in Iceland, and the horse was running and hit a hole, and I went, like, almost over the front, and they have English saddles, not Western, so there was no, like, where's the the knob to grab onto, the horn to grab onto here. Um, Yeah, I mean, we would always, we got a car crash in South Africa, we were, like, all drifting off to sleep, uh, including the driver, I guess, (laughs) and then we were smashing the telephone pole. Oh, my God. Um, And, uh, yeah, yeah. it's not an adventure show without a car crash. Um, No. Each each place kind of gave us its own special sort of, like...
1: Set of challenges?
0: It, yeah. Yeah, I think um, we... Uh, I'm trying to think of what, what went down. The only place that was sort of, like, just really kind of, like, chill was Finland. Finland is extremely... Um, Finland is extremely uh, meditative. It's, like, everyone is trout fishermen uh, or women or they go into the forest and they like harvest like mushrooms or just hang out there. And like um, they interact with the woods. There's woods everywhere. Like two minutes outside Helsinki, it's like forest and everyone takes part of their day and just goes. Um, and, and it, you know, it's cause they have the time. I mean, there's a, a nice social safety net. They, they don't, they have limited hours, you know, capped hours that they can work. And so families go off and go strawberry picking or go into the woods and swim. And um, and you just kind of, like, fall into this molasses there. Really That's amazing, amazing.
1: That's stuff. great. Um, all right, I have three, la- three final questions for you. First is, so what was, like, what was your favorite thing that you got to do on this adventure?
0: Hmm. What was my favorite thing? I, the, I deep sea dove in Icelandic fjords um Ooh. and we put on like a dry suit and I was going for scallops and uni and and uh and clams and you know I've I've done a couple times I've scuba dived, but it's really like, you know, the warm water with the pretty fish and the coral <laughs> reef and
1: no waves
0: right. and and you're down maybe ten feet. Um and this was this was deep. We went down to where like we needed flashlight, headlamp, and uh and your your seals are zipping by kind of thing, and you're all competing. there's tons of food down there. It's like, oh my gosh, the whole ocean floor is littered with you know. And open clams and and closed like clams have been eaten shells everywhere, and then you're looking for clams and and scallops that haven't been. And uh, the diver had told me that the week before, you know, a group of a pod of whales had gone up into the fjord next to him, and he could see the big the big dark shapes, you know, passing him under the water, and uh, and it was really really. Um, amazing experience, very intense. I'm not like a particularly good diver. So, um, there were a number of times where I had to like count to 10 backwards to calm myself down. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, okay. <laughs> Cause you, cause you could also, you have this like button, you know, dry suit diving is they seal up your suit and fill it mm-hmm. with air so that the water is not against you because it's really cold. But you Mm -hmm. can also press this button to inflate your suit more. And if you inflate it more, it will zip you to the surface. But, you know, you get the bends and you die. So I'm freaking out a couple times under there, and you just don't press the button. Don't press the button. Calm down. And then the diver looks back and he gives you the thumbs up, and you give him the thumbs up. Even <laughs> You're like, I'm fine. I'm not fine, but I'm fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, this close to killing yourself in the worst possible idiotic <laughs> way, you know.
1: So, all right, so that's very cool. I love that. Um, all right, so what uh, – second to last question. What did you learn most from this entire adventure, and what do you want people to take away from it? Um, what did I learn?
0: I learned that, um, well, let's start with the second part first. What I'd like for people to take away is that going out, I've been asked before, like, what should people be talking about over dinner, like after watching the show? And instead of talking about something over dinner, I would say Go. I hope the show leads you to go do some gathering, to go do some gardening, to go. I mean, to take the weekend with your kids and go apple picking because I feel like it's such a. Um, it changes your your life. It changes your perspective. To so just go out in, into the you know the air and you know get your blood moving um, the exercise and, and then picking food off of a tree and, and eating it yourself. Um, it's such an amazing experience that I don't think we, we don't think about a lot or, or it's only a special occasion, you know, and here, um, I, my kid came with me to Finland and we were shooting this scene and, uh, I was playing with him, but then they called me to go over and shoot the scene. So I put him down. We were in the woods, and I put him down on a, on a path where there was like a lot of wild strawberries there. And he started eating the strawberries. Like I, I, he couldn't walk; he could crawl, but he couldn't walk. And he's just picking these wild strawberries, putting them in his mouth, and it was it was blowing his mind the fact that he could do it, and that and that he was feeding himself. And then even to today, strawberries were one of his first words, and they are still his favorite fruit. And I that's think it's because cool. he created a pathway in his brain where, like, he did this himself. It's such a human thing to feed yourself from the earth. And um, so that's what I hope people walk from, is they actually, like, make, make an appointment to go harvest strawberries or go fishing or, um, yeah, interact with their food, and, so and what i learned is related to that when you go out and and make a meal from scratch the meal tastes better and i don't mean that i mean you know everyone will be like oh you, you know you, you can imagine that's true but the why it tastes better is interesting is that it's almost like you're preparing to eat the moment you start so Uh, whether it's, you know, good things come to those who wait or biologically your body is like, oh, I'm going to eat this later. And so it starts to rev up and, like, you know, start to get hungry. Um, And so by the time you're done and you make that meal, um, you put so much thought and concentration into it
1: that each bite tastes amazing. That's so cool. I love that. I love that so much because I I cook a lot at home and uh, if, there's just nothing better. Like when you make something good yourself, just it just tastes better yeah. than everything else. And I I just think you know in my job as a food and travel writer and trying to teach the world I, I don't want to get preachy, but you know showing the world that it's not an Instagram feed of just beautiful things that there's you know there's a deeper level and I I feel like you're getting to that deeper level. Uh, on this show. I, I just uh, I think it's great. So I really appreciate what you're doing. So uh last thing, tell people Thank you. where do we find you, how do we get how do we watch the show? Where is it? Et cetera, et cetera.
0: So it's on FYI, uh six PM Eastern, five central and um Sundays. Um and we are just starting our social media. I've been yelled at by my publicist. <laughs> <laughs> and my social media guys for my basic like uh, last twenty years of my life not doing anything about this. So this is no. going to change. We now have like a Twitter and an Instagram, and um, so that's going to grow. And um, what is it? And we though, hope to,
1: so that people know where to look.
0: Oh, oh, so it's, it's David Raphael uh, That's my Instagram at David Raphael Moscow, and um, the other Instagram is really from scratch. Uh so those are the two things, you know, my personal and then the, the the uh the show. And then and then um Twitter is also really from scratch.
1: Cool. Um, well David, thank you so much uh for taking the time and for doing this really cool, fun, interesting show that Hopefully people get take a loss from about where their food comes from and think about what they're eating um, on a daily basis. So it's great. I love it. Uh, so thank you again. Uh, thank really thank you, man. Thank you for the support. That's wonderful.
0: L.A. Departure Frequency
1: 123.9. Roger.
2: If this talk didn't make you think a little bit more about the food on your plate, then I don't really know what to tell you. But David's show is truly eye-opening, so please make sure to watch it on the FYI Network on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. 5 Central. And follow David as he prepares food from scratch across the globe. So thanks as always for listening, and hopefully I'll see you somewhere else around the world on another episode of The podcast.